Well, good evening. Nice to see you here tonight. It is, uh, we're going to be over in 2 Kings chapter 9. We're going to have to split this story up in two. It looked like chapter 9 and 10 was a little bit too much for one night. So we're just going to try and keep it on to, on to 9. We'll uh, split Jehu up into two, two parts. Jehu was one of the ones who was to be anointed by Elijah. Elijah didn't get to it. So Elisha takes up that part, and Elisha doesn't do it either. He sends someone else. Let's take a look at this here in verse, verse 1. And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets, we don't even get his name, and said to him, Get yourself ready. Take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. Now when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make, make him rise up from among his associates and take him to an inner room. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not delay. So very specific instructions he's given to this man. Verse 4, So the young man and the servant of the prophet went to Ramoth Gilead. Now he doesn't deserve a name, but he gets a servant. I'm not quite sure how that goes there. <laughs> so the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to the Ramoth Gilead. And when he arrived... There were the captains of the army sitting, and he said, I have a message for you, commander. John said, or Jehu said, for which one of us? And he said, for you, commander. Then he arose and went into the house, and he poured the oil on his head and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord over Israel. You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the house, whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. So I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. The dog shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. So he follows the instructions very carefully and very good. And all the fleeing that's going on here, it would seem that somehow this has seemed to be a dangerous assignment. And I kind of think that's why Elisha didn't go himself. And maybe if Elisha went, it would have brought a lot of attention to what was going on and he wanted him to get out of there pretty quick. So it's either the danger of the event or we don't want to bring any attention to this. So whichever way that it is, uh, this, this man, he goes in there and does exactly what he's told and then he's out. And he anoints Jehu for this particular task. Now Elijah was supposed to the purpose that Elijah was to go out and anoint these three was to wipe out the house of Ahab. And that's one of the commissions that Jehu was given is to wipe out the house of, of Ahab. We don't see Elisha really killing a whole lot of people. doesn't seem to be. In he, but that was part of his calling for what he was anointed to, to do. Because the one that, uh, whoever escaped the house of Hazael, Jehu would kill. Whoever escaped Jehu, Elisha would kill. So maybe nobody got through the first two. Uh, I'm not sure how that was, but uh, I, I don't really see Elisha killing too many people. Verse 11, Then Jehu came out to the servants of his master, and one said to him, Is all well? What did this madman, why did this madman come to you? And he said, You know the man and his babble? And they said, A lie. Tell us now. So he said, Thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him on the top of the steps, and they blew trumpets, saying, Jehu is king. Now, whether they were mocking this or, or not, it seems like they're mocking it, but then they go out and they act it out. So, I don't know that it's actually them mocking it, 
But look how they view the man of God. Do you know the man and his babble? And of course, the guys that he's with, why did this madman come to you? So they don't have a high respect here for the people of the prophets, the guys that, were, that are associated with Elisha. So this man was apparently distinguished as one of those in Elisha's school of the prophets. And there was no respect there for him. Now we're in the northern tribes. In the northern tribes, there's not a lot of respect for the things of God. Most of the priests had already exited. They have the false priests that are set up. They have the false worship. They have the Baals. They have all the different things that are, that are uh, set up there. And it doesn't seem like they respect too much the things that are going on with God. In fact, calling this man who came in a madman. So verse 14. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now Joram had been defending Ramoth Gilead, he and all Israel, against Hazael, king of Syria. Hazael is anointed to wipe out the house of Ahab. That's what everyone thinks he's supposed to do. Joram is one of the house of Ahab. He is to die. But he escaped the hand of Hazael. <clears throat> but King Joram had returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria. So they wounded him, but they didn't kill him. And Jehu said... If you are so minded, let no one leave or escape from the city to go tell it to in Jezreel. So he says, uh, look, if you are all going to say the same mind that I should be king and we should go about doing this thing, then make sure no one leaves. And we're going to go out and we're going to do this now. So they shut down the city where he was at so that no one could go out and warn anybody. And they head on out to Jezreel. Now Jezreel, remember where Ahab built his summer home and where the whole thing with the uh, vegetable garden and the vineyard and all that took place. So Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel from Joram, for Joram was laid up there. And Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to see Joram. Now, we're going to have a lot of similar names here, and so I've tried to make some annotations to help you figure out who is who. But Joram, this is Joram of Israel. Israel is the northern tribes. Judah, when you see that, is the southern tribe. Uh, he is born of the house of Omri. And this is Israel's fourth ruling house. Here's the first one. Jeroboam was the first one, the son of Nadab. That was the first ruling house. His house was rejected and wiped out. Basha is the one who wiped out uh, Jeroboam's house. And then um, he didn't last very long. And then Zimri came up. Zimri didn't last very long either. Seven days. Seven days for Zimri. Might be the shortest of all the things that are going on there. But then uh, Omri, or the, uh, he had the house of... Uh, Oh, the house of Omri had Ahab, Ahaziah, and Joram. Ahaziah is also in the southern kingdom. So don't get them confused. There's an Ahaziah of the north and an Ahaziah of the south. You would think with the weird names they come up with for these, these folks, they could come up with more. Well, we've got a lot of similar names in this one. Now, a watchman stood on the tower in Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came, and he said, I see a company of men. And Joram said, get a horseman and send him to meet them and let him say, is it peace? So the horseman went to meet him and said, thus says the king, is it peace? And Jehu said, what have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported saying, the messenger went to them, but is not coming back. So the messenger goes out. He's loyal to the king, but I guess he feared what was going around, going on there and knew that if he didn't... Uh, get in line and follow behind, he would be dead. So he uh, stayed with them. Then he sent out a second horseman 
who came to them and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported saying, He went up to them and is not coming back. <laughs> and the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. Now, I'm, <clears throat> have you ever been passed by somebody and you kind of know who it is because of the way they're driving? Well, I would think that on a horse that's even more distinctive. And so the way he's driving this horse is very distinctive and they know that it's, uh, no one drives a horse like this guy does. He, and so they know it's Jehu, just from the way he's riding the horse. I wouldn't be able to tell that about people, but I guess you're around horses enough, around people who ride them, you might be able to, to do that. So Joram said in verse 21, Make ready, and his chariot was made ready. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out each in his chariot, and they went out to meet Jehu and met him on the property of Naboth the Jezreelite. Now, once they determined that it was Jehu, they determined that it's probably okay to go out and meet him because Jehu is of Israel. He's on their side. He's not on the side of Syria. Jehu has been a warrior for the kings of Israel. You're going to see he's, he's, uh, he has a history. We're going to see that come up here in a little while. So uh, now it happened when Jerome and Jehu, he said, Is it peace, Jehu? So he answered, What peace as long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many? So that's not the words that they wanted to hear. <laughs> then Joram turned around and fled and said to Ahaziah, Treachery, Ahaziah. So Jehu drew his bow with full strength and shot Jehoram between his arms and the arrow came out at his heart and he sank down in his chariot. Now more than likely he had his armor on. If you're coming out of a city and you're king, you more than likely put the armor on. So imagine the arrow goes through the armor that's in the back, through him and out the front. That's um, Jehu, he's got a lot of strength to him. He is a warrior. He is very much a warrior. And we see that, of course, as it goes on. But he's been a warrior. It's not something that's new to him. Then Jehu said to Bidkar, his captain, pick him up and throw him into the tract of the field at Naboth, the Jezreelite. For remember, now look at this, when you and I were riding together behind Ahab, his father, that the Lord laid this burden upon him. Surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth the blood of his son, says the Lord, and I will repay you in this plot, says the Lord. Now, therefore, take and throw him on the plot of ground according to the word of the Lord. So he's slain on the field of Naboth, which is prophesied by Elijah. And it seems that Jehu and Bidkar were there when Ahab came to claim it. They're not mentioned in the story, but when Ahab comes down, he apparently brought Jehu and Bidkar along, and they heard the word that Elijah spoke against them. So Jehu and Bidkar are high up on Ahab's list as far as people that he trusts, people in his uh, war room, because they're going right around with him. Now, we said this prophecy is probably the same one spoken by Elijah. That event happened about 15 to 18 years ago. It is a guesstimate. We're just basing it on some of the things that happened. Here's how you get to that number. One person put it at 14 to 15, but... Ahab, in 1 Kings 22 and verse 1, we says three years later after that event with the vineyard, three years later, he's in, at war and this is the war that he dies in. So that's three years right there. Ahaziah of Israel, he reigned two years. Ahaziah in the south didn't last that long. But Ahaziah of Israel reigned two years. So if you see a spot that says Ahaziah reigned one year, all right, that's not the one we're talking about. We're talking about the one who reigned two years. That's of Israel. That's in 1 Kings 
22 and 51. It says, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. So, three years and two years, and then you have Joram, who reigned 13 years in 2 Kings 8, 25-26. We see that he reigned 25 years, and then we added to it one year with Ahaziah. Ahaziah became king in his 12th year, and then after that year, they went to the battle because Ahaziah dies in that battle. So you had 12 and 1, you got 13, plus the other 5, you have 18. Now, some of those years may have been short. Maybe they came up, a, you know, maybe like one and a half years became two, or maybe um, two and three quarter years became three years, stuff like that. You, they just used round numbers for years, one year, two year, three years. They didn't go do the two and a half, three and a half, stuff like that. They're just uh, looking at the whatever was closest in there. So it doesn't mean it had to be exactly three years, exactly two years. It could be one year and 11 months, one year and 10 months, whatever it is. But somewhere around the 18-year mark is probably a good guesstimate as to when this was. So Jehu, about 18 years ago, was riding, but he was still a warrior then, was riding behind Ahab. And for 18 years, he's been serving these kings. He served his father, he served his son, and he served this guy all these years. And then he gets this anointing, you are going to be king and you are to wipe out the house of Ahab. Now that's his calling to be king and to wipe out the house of Ahab. Verse 27. But when Ahaziah, king of Judah, saw this, saw him put the arrow through, the, through his buddy there, he fled by the road to Beth Hagen. So Jehu pursued him and said, shoot him also in the chariot. And they shot him at the ascent of Gur, which is by Iblim, then he fled to Megiddo and died there. Now, why he goes after Ahaziah doesn't jump out at you, but he's called to wipe out the house of Ahab. He is called to take over being king in Israel. There is nothing in that call about Judah. Now, here's the problem. Who is Ahaziah's mother? The daughter of Ahab. So he actually is a descendant of Ahab even though he is also a descendant of Jehoshaphat. He's a descendant of uh, both, or Jehoshaphat's son. He's a descendant of... So he's got blood on both sides. Now, Jehu knows this. He knows all the ins and outs about who was born to who and all this sort of stuff. So he's been around for all these different things going on. He knows that he's a descendant of Ahab. He is called to wipe out the house of Ahab. And he's very diligent to do this. He, He goes after them all. And so he, he pursues him to make sure that he gets them. We're not so concerned about wiping out the army of Israel. That's not his pursuit. His pursuit is the king. So he gets the first one right outside Jezreel, and then he pursues the other one. And his servants carried him in the chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his tomb with his father in the city of David. In the eleventh year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah had become king over Israel. Israel. Judah, I'm sorry. Lost my, uh, there we go. Every once in a while, this thing just jumps around on me. <laughs> Ahaziah become king over Judah. Now, Ahaziah, we saw the character of his reign last week. We saw in 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 24, that he followed after the sins of Ahab, it says, because he was a descendant of Ahab. And that's the ones he, he followed after. And so that gave us kind of a picture of the household of Jehoshaphat, who was a God-fearing king, that in his household, 
He had some who followed after God and some who followed after the Baals. They all had the same mother. They all had the same father. But later on, his, his, um, his, the, the other sons are wiped out. And the Word of God says that they were better than Ahaziah. Which means, according to God, that they had more of a heart for God, served God more, whatever that might be. Ahaziah didn't have that. Now, in Second Chronicles, we, I wanted to read this to you, just to get a little bit more about Ahaziah. Then the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah his youngest son king in his place, for the raiders who came with the Arabians into the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. Ahaziah was 42 years old when he became king. He's an old, older guy for taking over the kingship. He reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Amri. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother advised him to do wickedly. Now, her mother advised Ahab to do wickedly, and she picked up all the things that her mother had done. And she advised him to do wickedly. Now, we're coming up. It won't be the next time we get together for this. But Athaliah, there is some really interesting stuff that we'll get into when we, when we delve into that. It won't be until chapter 11. We have to get through chapter 10 first, and then in chapter 11, we, have a very, we continue this very dark period of Judah's history. It is so dark, we showed you last week, Matthew omitted it. He completely skipped over all this. When he gave all the genealogies of the kings of Judah, he stopped. Ahaziah is not even counted. The queen mother is not counted. We got, a, we got a, I think, uh, three that are completely omitted. And we just skip over them. And no one else has skipped. There's some other evil kings in Judah's history. But those are the three that are skipped. As is over in Matthew. So he walked in all the house of Ahab. His mother advised him wickedly. Therefore he did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab. For they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. He also followed their advice and went with Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Judah, or king of Israel, to war against Hazael, king of Syria, at Ramoth Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Jerom. Then he returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which he had received at Ramah when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria. And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Jehoram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel. <clears throat> Isn't that fun? I'm telling you, they, ought to get, they should have gotten some different names just for this least period, this little period here. Because he was sick. He was going to Joram. Was God's occasion for Ahaziah's downfall? For when he arrived, he went out with Jehoram against Jehu, the son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to cut off the house of Ahab. So there again, we're talking about his anointing. And it happened when Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab and found the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's brothers who served Ahaziah, that he killed them. So he didn't stop at, uh, at Ahaziah. He goes to the, the brothers, or, um, uh, yeah, the brothers who served Ahaziah. <clears throat> then he searched for Ahaziah, and they caught him. He was hiding in Samaria and brought him to Jehu. When they had killed him, they buried him because they said he is the son of Jehoshaphat who sought the Lord with all his heart. So the house of Ahaziah had no one to assume power over the kingdom. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered and put him and his, and his nurse in a, in a bedroom. So Jehoshabeth 
the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada, the priest, for she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she did not kill him. And he was hidden with them in the house of God for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. Now that's the part we'll get into a whole lot uh, later on. There is a, quite a bit in history about this lady and some of the things that she has, has done. It is very uncommon, especially in Israel, but also some of the nations around, that a woman would reign. It just was not common. Some, some areas it, it occurred. I think Egypt, it happened a little bit more than some of the other places, but not so much over in this area. It was very unusual, and some of the things that had gone on with her. But uh, we'll, we'll pick them up at another time. And of course, we know about Jehoshaphat's error. We spent last week on that when he had his son marry the daughter of Ahab to form an alliance. And that's where the problems come in. Second Kings chapter 9, verse 30. Now when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she put paint, paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through a window. Now I imagine that means she made, made up her eyes. And, you know, some people will get a little funny about this and they'll say, well, any woman who puts paint on her eyes or makes up her eyes, you know, she probably, it's not. <laughs> you can do whatever that you, that you want to. You can leave it off. You can put it on. Don't, don't feel that uh, anything like that's going on. This is just one of those things that she did. But here's what, here's what, she knows that Jehu is coming to kill people and that she's one of the ones that he's coming to kill. <laughs> she's not a dumb lady. She may be evil, but she's not dumb. So she hears about it. She put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through a window. Now, what that means when she adorned her head, it means she put her crown on. If she put her crown on, what else do you think she probably put on? Her robe, because she was a queen. So she has her queen robe on, her tiara, or whatever they put on there, the head for the, the queen, and she put her makeup on, did herself up, and then looked down. I guess she wanted to look like the, the part of a queen. <laughs> then as Jehu entered the gate, he said, Is it peace zimmering murderer of your master? So she already knows that he's, who he's killed. And he looked up at the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? So two or three eunuchs looked out at him. Now imagine this. This is an evil woman. He just hollers up. Whoever's up in the tower. Anybody on my side? In other words, anybody not on her side? And two or three. We, how many people are in a tower? I don't know how many people that can be in a tower, but you're up at the top and you got two or three. We're on your side. Right here. We're on your side. <laughs> so she obviously is not very popular. Two or three eunuchs looked out at him. Then he said, throw her down. So they throw her down. Now, can you imagine that? If you were up in a tower and you had this very evil person, but she's a queen. And someone from down there just says, throw her down. Now, you've got to be thinking a lot of things. All right, we're obviously having to pick a side here. Either we pick the side of Jezebel or we pick the side of the guy who just killed the king. Which side are we going to go with here? And they decided to go with the guy who just killed the king. And so they picked her up and throw her, throw her out the window. Whew. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've met some evil people. Haven't you met some evil people? I don't know that I could throw them out the window, though. Guess if God anoints you and God tells you, now throw them out the window, you don't argue. But that's uh, what happened. There's no argument. There's no convincing. 
Throw her out the window. Three of them get a hold of her. Throw her out the window. I'm sure she didn't go quietly. I'm sure she made some threats. So they threw her down and some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses. And he trampled her underfoot. This is Jehu. Just throw her down. He watches her come down. He is close enough to this that the blood from her splashes on his horse. And then after that, that's not enough. He goes and he stomps on, on her with the horse. Makes the horse walk right over her. <sighs> you ever read, run over a, something in the road? A cat or a squirrel or something like that? I mean, doesn't it just... Yeah. I, I ran over a cat recently. I was um, on a bunk bed delivery. I was, apparently, I was up near the state of New York on this bunk bed delivery. I was about two and a half hours from home. <laughs> and uh, well, I was finishing up. And by the time I was finishing up, it was, I don't know, 6.30, 7 o'clock at night, something like that. It was, it was uh, late. It was dark. And there were signs for bears, for people who were hunting bears. And the guy I was delivering the bed to, he says, I don't come out here at nighttime. He says, uh, I don't let my dog out at nighttime. He says, there are bears out here, and I don't want to contend with one. So, um, so I'm driving on, on home. There are, I have never seen this before outside of Oklahoma. But there were no lights. I drove for an hour on a road. No stop sign. No traffic light. No street light. I didn't even see a light for a house. I saw some mailboxes. <laughs> and so I'm driving down. Dark street. No lights. Only light on this road is my headlights. And all of a sudden, this animal comes out in front. It was small. It looked like it was black. And I just started, saw it turn sideways and look at me. And then I heard thump. And there was no mistaking the fact that I ran over whatever it was. I'm assuming it was a cat. I don't... It just looked a little bit bigger than I would expect for a cat. But again, we're out in the boondocks. I don't know what it was. I didn't stop to go figure it out. I just... <laughs> I just kept on going. But you know, when it goes on, even if you don't like the animal that you ran over, still it just kind of gives you mm-hmm. a little bit of the willies running over something. You just don't, you know, if things die, that's fine. I just don't want to be part of it, you know. <laughs> he, he, she's already dead. He just stomps her. Stomps her over. Make sure that she's got that blood all over the place. Huh. <sighs> So they threw her down. Some of the blood splattered on the wall and on the horses and he trampled her underfoot. Now, he came here to do a couple of things. Get the two kings. Get the queen. We accomplished those things so it's time to eat something. (laughs) And he went and when he had gone in, he ate and drank. So he stomps over her, parks the, the horse and he goes into the establishment there to get something to eat and to drink. I don't know what... I'm sure it probably wasn't a Diet Coke or... Chocolate milk or something like that. But whatever it was that he went in there to eat and drink, they're out there. He just killed all these people. We're going to go out here and have something to eat. Then he said, Go now, see that it's a cursed woman, and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. A little bit feeling bad, I guess, because, you know, she was a king's daughter. She deserved to die. I'm glad she's dead. But, um,. You know what? Going out there and 
and, uh, bur- and bury her because she was a king's daughter, so she ought to be buried. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet of the palms of her hands. In the time that he could go into the establishment, order his food, be eating and drinking whatever it is he ordered to drink, the dogs had come on over and started eating her up. And people around town watch this. This is in the daylight. This is not at nighttime, folks. This is in the daylight. They're seeing this queen in all her queen gown, her crown, whatever else is out there, all covered in blood. Dogs come over and eat. And they're, hey, look at that. The dogs are hungry. I mean, how do you, how do, you do this sort of stuff? And they're eating her up. I mean, they ate the whole thing outside of the palms of her hands. Skull on her feet. Therefore, they came back and told him and said, "They don't even. They don't touch it. The, you know, dogs got all this stuff. We're just going back and see what he wants to do." And he says, "This is the word of the Lord, which you spoke by your servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, On the plot of ground of Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel.'" He heard this, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be a rest, as refuse on the surface of the field in the plot of Jezreel. So they shall not say, "Here lies Jezebel." Hmm. Now he heard that word, but he still felt like we ought to send somebody out there to to do this. Didn't matter. God had already commissioned the dogs. Go out there and take care of this. And they did. Now Jezebel, even at this stage, she was still a queen. She had been a queen. And once you are a queen, you hold a high position in the kingdom. She still had a high position in the kingdom. And Jehu goes after two kings and one queen in one day. That could instill a little bit of fear in you because you got two kingdoms you just messed with in Judah and Israel. You took their king away. Now, them's fighting words in most, in most countries. And they could send the army from the south on up to say, we're coming to get you. Took out our king. And the army from the north could say, you took out our king. We're not real happy about this. But apparently nothing happens to them. But it was still a, quite a gutsy move. It was a bold move for, for him to do this. So uh, her, death, her uh, events of her death follow the line of the prophetic word. Let's just read that. Second Kings 21, 23. Then the servants of Ammon conspired against him and they killed the king in his own house. I copied the wrong one down, I think. Yep, I copied the wrong one down. So it wasn't Second Kings or else I just copied the wrong Wrong, uh, wrong spot. But anyway, you can find the uh, words from Elijah that talks about her, what they were going to do with her and compare it to what Jehu said. Now, here's the thing. We're not going to be able to finish all of uh, what happens here with Jehu. But Jehu is going to have another chapter. And he's going to go, if you think this killing rampage was something, he is going to kill a lot more people. He's, he's killed basically three, two kings and a queen. But now we're going after one group. He killed 70 sons. He's going, to, he's going to gather all the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of Asherah and he's going to wipe them all out. He does a whole lot of killing. But in the end, he gets judged. I'm going to read the scripture to you. Hosea chapter 1 verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel in the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Now, if God called Jehu 
to wipe out the house of Ahab, why is God bringing judgment on him for it? Wouldn't that seem a little bit odd? Because we know Elijah got the word from God. Anoint Jehu to wipe out the house of, of Ahab. Elisha gives the, the word to the sons of the prophet. The, the, the guy, he sends them on his way. He goes on out and he delivers it. Wipe out the house of Ahab. Jehu knows this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to wipe out the house of Ahab. And he goes about and he does it. But in Hosea, then the Lord said to him, call, on, call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. So why is he judging them for it? Well, Jehu, I put this in your outline for you. Jehu did the Lord's work, but he does it for his own gain. He does it because he gained something out of this. He gains the kingdom. He gained the kingdom of the, of the north. He got to be king. <clears throat> David did what God told him to do because his heart was after God. Jehu's heart was more after the, what he wanted than it was after God. But here's another part of this. As we go on into this, we're going to see that Jehu wiped out Baal worship and Asherah. He wiped out the, the prophets for that. But he does not wipe out the sin of Jeroboam, which is the false worship of, Je- of Jehovah. He does not get rid of the golden calves. He continues that worship in the golden calves. It, it was a, it'd be a tough thing to do. It was something that was very much a part of the northern tribes. Very much a part of their the way. You had to have some guts to it. Now we look at the guts that he had to wipe out two kings and a queen, but apparently he didn't have the guts to do this. And this was a, this was a problem. We'll see a lot of times that people have guts to do one thing and not guts to do another thing. It, it, you know, we're real, real bold over in this area, but we're not so bold over in, in here. We've got a lot of politicians right now who are having a real hard time being bold against all this stuff that's going on with the Syrian refugees and the, and the terrorist thing. We're having a hard time calling things what they are. There's no boldness in on that. Well, it's the same thing here. He was very, very bold in this area, but not bold when it comes to getting rid of this. Now, if you are going to bring judgment upon a house, you better make sure you don't follow the sins of that house. Because Ahab not only followed the sins of Baal and Asherah and brought those things in, but he also pursued the worship of the golden calves. It was started by Jeroboam, but Ahab also promoted it and kept it going. And Jezebel was the one who helped bring in the the Baals and the Asherah. She brought those things in and then he got behind that. So he's behind all these false worship. He got rid of some of it. He did not get rid of it all. So here's the thing we've got to be careful about. There's a whole lot of judgment that we can be doing for each other. There's a lot of, a lot of times Christians pass judgment on each other. Sometimes we're not called to. Jehu is called to pass judgment on the house of Ahab. There's a lot of times that people get up. I've, my, my wife was showing me some of these things that, that were up there on, I don't know, she came upon on Facebook or Internet or something. And some minister would get up and just blast another minister. Just judge them and speak all kinds of things about them and say all sorts of judgmental things and pronounce things upon them and so forth. <laughs> I don't know that they were called by God to do it. And I don't even think that their, their ministry had anywhere near the fruit of the one that they're calling out. Maybe they found some things that were right in that, but are they called by God to do it? Here's the thing. 
if you go and judge another Christian for the sin that they're involved in and you don't take care of that in your own, the judgment you pronounce upon them will come back on you. You have got to understand how very serious it is to pass judgment on anyone. And by passing judgment, I don't mean going into a person privately and correcting them. That's a whole different matter. We're talking about people who get up and proclaim, brother, sister, so-and-so is this. You've got to be careful. Because if God did not call you to do that, you're going to run into trouble. If God did call you to do that, then you better make real good sure that you don't follow into that same sin and do the same kind of thing that, that they did. David judged the house of Saul in a way. He didn't execute them or, or kill them, but he came in after their, their place. And for most of the things that Saul was guilty of, David went in an opposite direction. During the time with Bathsheba and one other time in David's history, he followed after some of the things that Saul did. And judgment did come on his house for both of those things. He opened the door. God said, you open the door for it. But he did slam the door shut and he turned his, his way around. But here's why we, Jesus gives such a warning about judgment. If you are the vehicle through which God chooses to exercise judgment, then you need to understand you have a responsibility on you to make sure that your life doesn't have those things going on and that you don't fall into them. Remember the verse in the New Testament? That if you correct your brother, correct him in such a way that you realize, hey, you could fall too. You need to have that attitude. You need to keep that in mind. Jehu does not have this. And he pursues the same. He may have been, he may have gone around and talked about these guys need to get rid of these bales. These guys need to get rid of these asherahs. These guys need to get rid of these golden calves. And then when he's in a place to do it, doesn't do it all does some of it. He may have been out there talking about how they ought to get rid of this, how they ought to become followers of Jehovah again. I don't know if he did that or not, but I know people today that do this sort of thing, and then when they're put in a position, don't do it themselves. Just be careful. Understand that being an arm of God's judgment bears a great responsibility, and it ought to humble us, not exalt us. For Jehu, it exalted him. He became puffed up. And as soon as he comes to the throne, it's not good. He follows into the, the ways of, the, of Jeroboam, it says, and some of those sins. And, of course, those are some, some of the things that Ahab did as well. And it does not go well for him. And Jehu will be rejected, and his house will be wiped out as well, and another house will be sought after, and another house will be brought in to, uh, to go after it. But this, this uh, verse here in Hosea... And it talks about the bloodshed of Jezreel. There's, uh, Hosea actually later on in this will talk about the day of Jezreel and relate it to the, um, the day of the Lord. You actually use it as another terminology. That the bloodshed that would go on in Jezreel was kind of like a forerunner and a type of what's going to happen in the, uh, in the last days when uh, a lot of people are being slaughtered and a lot of things are going on. You think Jehu's execution was, was uh, severe. Something far greater is, is coming up. So this, we'll see that the days of Jezreel will come in just as the days 
the last days be related to that. So you can read the rest of Hosea and, and see some of those things that were, were going on there. Hosea, of course, is a book about the unfaithfulness of Israel and how they are being judged for their unfaithfulness and their idolatry. And all this is, is brought in. But as we see more and more of this going on, because understand, the enemy loves to bring us into a place where we judge other people. Because he knows if I can get you to judge other people in a wrong way, you open the door for judgment to yourself. So be real careful with how we walk into the area of judgment. Je- Jehu was not and walked into it boldly and didn't, as we see, you all know this verse, we, we talked about it before. Come see how zealous I have been for the Lord. That's <laughs> Jehu's words. He's proud of it. He's very proud of it. And he shows off to, uh, to somebody. Come on up here in the chariot. I want you to see all the things I'm doing for the Lord. And uh, he was very glad about, about the judgment that he was executing. And what he was doing was fine, but he didn't guard his own house. And he didn't keep these things out. You've got to understand, if you are an arm that God uses to judge, then you must make sure that you keep yourself apart from those sins that are going on there. This is a way that you can, uh, you can look out at people that are judging. Find, is this in their heart? Is there pride in their heart? Are they exalting themselves in this? Or do you see an attitude of Jehu? Or do you see an attitude of David? And I'll tell you right there whether it's, it's anything good or not. What Jehu does is what God wanted. But God wanted more from the house of Jehu than just this. And he wasn't up for that. A lot of times people are up for the judgment. But they're not up for the building of the house. God doesn't just want to tear down things. He wants to build new things up. Jehu was great at tearing down the house of Ahab, but did not build up the house of Jehu properly. You look at David. David did nothing to tear down the house of Saul, let God do it. But he did everything to build up the house of David through the Spirit of God. It is more important what we build than what we tear down. If you look at the life of Jesus... Jesus spent far more time building than he did tearing down. He did some tearing down. He did some judgment on the house of the the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers, scribes, and so forth. But he did far more to build up than he did to tear down. So as we see the, the judges go out, we have lots of judges, and they're all pronouncing this one and that one. Are they also building? Do they judge or do they also build? And in our own life, have we gotten to the point that we are tearing down everything that goes on around us as a judge, but we're not building up the things that we need to do? It's far more important what you build up than what you tear down. Father, we thank you for the example that you give us in your word, the life of Jehu. We see someone who very zealously did what God called him to do but didn't pay attention to building up the house of God in his own life the reverence for God he didn't do all these things that he should have done and when he was faced with such hard decisions that would come later on he wasn't ready to make them and his house became rejected Father help us not just to be vehicles of judgment but to be vehicles of love, be vehicles of ones who build up others, 
For what we build up is far more important than what we tear down. Thank you for the help that you give us in it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.